Welcome to DAC Beechcross Lawcast. My name is Charlotte Burnett, a partner specialising in integration within the NHS and between the NHS and independent providers. Today, I'm joined by Tracy Bell, Clinical Director of Health Innovation Manchester. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the themes covered in the latest Health Advisor article, The Power of Local Autonomy, exploring how local autonomy can be harnessed for the good of the local and national community. Tracy, how can local autonomy be harnessed for the good of the local and the national community? I suppose you have to look at local autonomy and decide what you mean by it. So first define it, I guess. Do you mean the autonomy of the patient or the citizen? Do you mean the autonomy of the provider? Do you mean autonomy within the NHS family or within the social care family? So I'll just answer it from my point of view from primary care. I think we need more trust and autonomy to use the resources that we're given. And you're probably seeing that change with the advent of integrated care systems, CCGs being abolished, that there's an opportunity to give more autonomy to our providers. In doing this, we stand in the gap between what the citizens journey is like within the NHS and being able to do something to change it and improve it. That's a really good point that you make there about autonomy and the various levels of autonomy. You've previously talked to us about the notion of earned autonomy. Can you unpack that phrase a little bit for us? Sure. I think it's quite controversial, but I think we've worked in a system that's quite hierarchical in the NHS and we've not really allowed much earned autonomy and we've overperformance managed all parts of our system to the point that data and spreadsheets are more important than the reality of delivery. So a lot of our commissioners have been involved in performance management and we can sometimes lose track of what we're doing it for. So what we're doing is improving citizens' life outcomes as well as their health outcomes. So the end autonomy bit is where I hope we'll we'll restructure and say, okay, we have trusted institutions within communities, trusted by the public, trusted actually in reality by the NHS, but let's give them a little more autonomy to flex that uniqueness based on neighbourhoods or communities and the demands that the citizens in those areas require rather than standardise and performance manage everything. There has to be a bit of earned autonomy that we can let the resources flow to the front line who actually are great at innovating when they're small independent practices. Thanks for that. And I like how you segued there into the start of population health and wellbeing and, and outcomes. But if I can just pull you back to data, how vital is data in informing the continued shift from inputs to outputs based approaches? And how does that work at a central and a local level? So data, don't get me wrong when I say, you know, data is the root of all evil. I think we have to decide what we're going to use data for. For overperformance managing every small area, every percentage, I think we're losing track on what we're using the data for. When we use data to drive improvement, 
or innovation or frontline delivery and apply it to look at some of the problems we have in our system, that's when it really becomes useful to the NHS. So I'll take an example that might bring it to life. So if we're looking at a problem that we have in the NHS, which might be, for example, access to your GP, let's take that one that's always live. It's important that we look at the data instead of use anecdotes to decide why access is not working or why there's so many much footfall in emergency departments. So it'd be better to look really carefully at the data, make it meaningful and then make it the instrument of change. And that's where I think we need all the information governance right in systems, in ICSs, so that we can share data. But out in community and primary care, we don't have enough infrastructure to give the right degree of data and often what's pulled is inaccurate. So we just have to look at the accuracy of the data, but then apply it to change. And I think we've used data to apply it to performance management and less so towards change. And we need to really become a data-driven improvement organisation within the NHS. How can the NHS place-based leadership agenda drive up population health and well-being? What does regeneration of place and community mean for transformation of healthcare and vice versa? And does a focus on local autonomy provide a better pathway to connecting health and non-health factors when it comes to population well-being? Wow, Charlotte, it's a long question. So come back to me if I don't answer it fully. Because it's an interesting one about what's the tension between standardisation of delivery and place-based delivery? How do we erase inequalities in health outcomes if we're just doing the standardisation piece and we're resourcing in a standardised way? So I do think place-based leadership is important where we need to deliver differently. We need to case find differently. We need to speak to different populations in different ways. But I think the standardisation pieces around the outcomes that we're driving towards, which are people's improvements in their attitude to their lives, in their chance of success in their lives, which dominates their health outcomes. So when you come to the definition of place-based leadership, I suppose we get a little bit split about it. Some would say place-based leadership is the statutory organisations within a place. Others would say that place-based leadership is around primary care providers and others would actually say place-based leadership ought to be around the citizen. But I think it's trying to map what we should be doing in a place and to do that we need that data-driven approach. So we need to look at what sets you apart in actually a neighbourhood. I believe firmly we should be looking at neighbourhoods, so the level of 30 to 50,000, and what makes one neighbourhood different than another and might be a different service that reaches that neighbourhood but driving towards the same bold outcomes. Some are health outcomes reducing cardiovascular disease, some are life outcomes having a home and a house and reducing unemployment. So there are different outcomes to go by, but I suppose place-based leadership comes in different shapes. And I strongly feel that it has to be a citizen-led partnership um, down at that level. So that's why it has to be smaller in a neighbourhood where you have the potential of somebody knowing who you are and all the teams that service that neighbourhood probably can connect with each other. That's a really important point that I think that you make there, Tracy, on life outcomes. 
And it's interesting if we look at the guidance which is increasingly being issued from NHS England and something that I've particularly picked up on provider collaboratives around supporting broader social and economic development, which I think links back to your knowledge of the patient, the citizens, life outcomes, education, and I suppose things like housing, that increasingly we are having conversations with clients and contacts, which are around life outcomes and not just the pure health and social care arrangements. So is there anything more that you wanted to add in relation to those broader social and economic development areas? So I think we have to make sure that it's great sometimes when you read these documents um, and sometimes they get lost when they're enacted. I think that's in for a reason, which is that we understand that people's health outcomes are very much dominated by the other things that are going on in their life their family structure, their housing, their possibility of a job, justice system, and all those actually probably dictate their health outcomes more than screening early, their interaction with the NHS. So if we're really going to make the NHS affordable commodity in the way that it's national and universal, we've really got to flip things over and get into social care. So, of course, in Greater Manchester, we've been working really closely with local authorities, but also with the wider public sector, police, justice system, housing officers. And we really need to understand what people's lives are about. And there's no point me as a GP background sitting in front of a patient and getting them to take their statins to reduce their risk of heart disease if they're worrying about being evicted from their house the next day or that their son is in prison on a drug overdose or they're worried about their livelihood or their safety. So it's Maslow's hierarchy, really. You have to consider what's important to people first and have more asset-based conversations, and then we'll really change health. In order to do that, we need that neighbourhood approach to it. And I think the provider collaboration We started thinking this is great. It's a game changer. Let's collaborate with all our providers, including everybody, voluntary sector, industry, everybody that's in that neighbourhood. But it might be narrow in some ICSs as it's become more driven about secondary care providers. We want to keep it wide in GM and spread it further with primary care and all providers over a neighbourhood. But sometimes we're struggling to get that degree of change understood. But I think we understand where we're driving, but often there are obstacles to that path. The obstacles being that if we don't change overnight, then we're going to be performance managed away from what might change in five years. So target driven health services, important to have some targets, but some of them may distract you from the position of an ultimate change to making society more equal and giving more equal opportunities and therefore then improving health. Thank you. So I think what we're saying is that public and community involvement is actually really heavily reliant on local engagement. We're just very dependent on what level that that's been done at. So how can the emergence of local healthcare community champions during the pandemic, for example, be leveraged? How can we take those real assets during the pandemic and move forward with those kind of contributions? 
I think we've shown that most of those community volunteers and help, and when we saw the reigniting of the communities, to be honest, I did imaged for GM six years ago. We saw them come alive during COVID. I think maintaining that interaction is going to be really important. And the keys to that are that if you look closely at it, it was based around neighbourhoods, people doing something for the services that are delivered close to them and doing something for their neighbourhood, their street, something real to a neighbourhood. When we try to work that on a platform that's more wide, so even a locality at 250,000, we lose the local touch and the local energy in that. So it's really difficult. And when we become national, we probably don't have the right relationships with our public who are quite angered in some places and tired and frustrated. So I think the only way to make it real is to really engage on that smaller footprint of a neighbourhood and really collaborate there with the citizen. I definitely think lot the press is quite toxic at the moment and we're pinning primary care against the citizen or the citizen against the NHS. We're doing a lot of damaging media at the minute. I want to get back to basics and actually hear from patients and give them an opportunity to co-produce what they want their NHS to look like. I think that's a really important point. Looking at the citizen, looking at their life outcomes, really engaging at a local level. My next question, I suppose, will be how do we square away those benefits of local autonomy as against the health bill and the increased powers for the Secretary of State? So the health bill looks as though we're going to be having an increased central control. And how do we square that with the benefits of local autonomy? Wow, Charlotte, if you expect me to answer that, I'd be at number 10, I think. I don't understand the nuance between the two. I'm not sure where the thinking is on that. I think we've seen through COVID an emergence of a stronger command and control, central control, that then is hard to go back to a regional control and then even back down to a locality control and then down to a neighbourhood. I think the neighbourhood and the ground up approach is the way forward. Co-producing with citizens, all looking after each other in communities that COVID showed, where we saw street parties clapping, people in neighbourhoods talk to their next door neighbour that they'd never spoken to. We saw community delivery shopping, all sorts of things. None of that was from command and control. So we do have to decide at what spatial level things are best at. So command and control might be best during a pandemic so that we are safe and we cover off risks. But the earned autonomy of neighbourhoods needs to be a real thing. It needs to have the resource to deliver what you know citizens want in that neighbourhood. It's a difficult one. I often sit and ponder it myself, so I can't answer it very well and think, where are we going with this? But what I do know is that right now in the recovery from a pandemic, we're at risk of losing the jewel in the British crown, which is our NHS. Thank you for those really valuable comments, Tracy. I'm sure our listeners will be really grateful for those. I think what is certain in the documents is that there is an absolute push towards subsidiarity. And what we've covered in the last 15 minutes is definitely that there is a place for talking to and engaging with the local public. 
with the citizens, talking about their outcomes, talking about population health. So I suppose from my perspective, it may be that different places come up with different solutions. Have you got any final words on that? Well, I think if different places didn't come up with different solutions, we'd be making worse the health inequalities that we have. I think we saw some of that with command and control. We've widened some health inequalities. So there's a learning there. There's also the marmot principle, as he often says, you know, let's not look after people when they're ill and return them back to the place that made them ill. We've got to look at population health. We've got to look at data improvement on that small footprint. And I'll finish with the fact that we should use and harness all the infrastructure that we have. So working with companies such as yourself, working with industry, working with high street, working across sectors to deliver, because this is not an individual aim of the NHS. This should be everybody's aim. And on that footprint, we might know our local industry partners. We might be able to be giving in a meaningful way to that community. And that might be in resource, in rooms, in help, in advice. There's all sorts we can do. The art of the possible, we've not even realised yet. But I did do think we saw a glimmer of it in the reigniting of communities during the pandemic. Thank you. And I love that we've ended that on the art of the possible. Always optimistic. (laughs) Glass half full. You can keep in touch with our content at www.dacbeechcroft.com forward slash health hyphen advisor for the latest insight, foresight and thought provoking articles for health and social care professionals.